back and we have a new microphone hat. Welcome to Hand of Pop. episode 474 of Hand of Pod. As you can already hear, because the sound quality is much better than it was on the previous episode, we're not recording on Zoom. Um, I'm back in Buenos Aires. We're back in the studio. And I managed to buy a new microphone pop shield uh, because the other one was completely falling to pieces while I was in England. And it fits very snugly. And it looks like a very amusing... Uh, haircut because it's not made of foam. It's. Uh, I think it looks like a Russian hat. Yes, Agreed. Heavy. Yeah. It, it's it's for heavy duty like really field recordings. Russian, in very windy conditions. Russian Siberian podcast exactly. or a raccoon's yeah. tail. Yeah. yeah. Um, but raccoon's tails don't make podcasts. It's no. the only one I could find on Amazon that was going to be guaranteed to fit over this microphone because the other ones were a bit dubious and uh, a bit ambiguous about whether they were going to fit or not. Anyway, I'm Sam and I'm joined this week by Andres. Hello and welcome back, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? I'm down. Hello, and happy 13th birthday to us all. Yes, this is our 13th anniversary episode. Thank you for remembering, Dan. We've been discussing Ooh. this on Friday, weren't we, when we saw each other. Uh, we turned 13 as a podcast on Saturday, just gone. So, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. And cheers to you, Salute. listeners. Thank you, indeed, for very much for putting us up. Must be one of the first podcasts for sure in Argentina. Yeah, we were. Um, yeah. I, no one knew what a podcast was, no, I remember. I, I researched quite thoroughly at one point, and we're definitely the first football podcast in Argentina, and um, I can't remember too many others of other topics that were about that. Yeah, I remember explaining it. It's like a radio show, but it doesn't go out live, it's recorded, mm. and then Well, I remember you, you doing that it. at your, was it your birthday party last year with one of your mates in the garden. It was like, what's a podcast? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a year ago. <laughs> Uh, Some of my friends aren't, uh, aren't very tech savvy. Indeed. Um, what we're obviously not going to do is go through all of the results that have happened since the last time we recorded. You've because ruined Chris's joke. Yeah, I had that joke prepared. Saying, are we going to like just Sorry, take a break while you read three months of fixtures? Because yeah. that would be a, a little bit much. Oh, I um, watched 85 matches just for this point. Yeah. <laughs> But what we are going to do is talk about the kind of very broad brushstrokes of the Copa de la Liga campaign, which is soon to um, come to an end, I think, the group stages. We've got one round left, basically. One round left, yes. And that round is going to be played not this coming weekend, the other one. but the week after that, because, of course, we have international football to talk about as well. And elections. Later. Oh, and, God. well, we're not going to be talking about the elections. We should. Oh, I suppose, no, we should, because there is actually a footballing angle on the, on the elections, isn't there? Isn't there always? Um, there, there are with uh, candidates for elections in teams, for example, Boca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is. Oh, the club elections as well, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, one thing that I don't think has changed, if I remember correctly, since we recorded while I was uh, in England 
is that River are still top of their Copa de la Liga group. Although, having said that, now I've said it out loud, I'm wondering whether they were second when we recorded before. I'm pretty um, sure they were top because Huracan have only recently become good after. Were Independiente top of it for a while though? Yes. Yes. I think it might have been Independiente first and River second when we recorded. And in Group B, um, well, in Group B there are a series of completely unsurprising teams in the top four. We'll get to those in a bit. Um, but Group A is River in first, Huracan in second, uh, Independiente in third, all on 23 points, and Colón in fourth on 20, which who are ahead of Rosario Central and Banfield on goal difference. So it's all still to play for with just one game to go there. But um, I suppose mathematically, none of River or, Acan or Independiente are quite there yet, are they? Because they're all three points clear with one game to go. Any of them could be overturned on goal difference if they were to lose by enough. Yeah, it's unlikely. Um, it's very unlikely, um, but yeah, it's possible. So watch this space. But in effect, it's going to be River Oregon Independiente plus one of Colón Central or Banfield, probably. Crazy thing is that River will play Instituto in the stadium of a rival or a possible rival, uh, at least in the positions of the table, mm -hmm. because they play will play at Independiente since their stadium is. Oh. The, the, the pitch is quite uh, ruined since Taylor Swift was there mm. singing this weekend. Yeah. And there was quite a lot of rain as well, if I remember. Yes. Yeah, she had to... <laughs> suspend. The, the Friday night gig was suspended. Or was it Friday or Saturday night was suspended Friday. and played on Sunday and stuff, wasn't it? Um, in Group B, as I said, nobody at all will be surprised to hear that Godoy Cruz are top, Belgrano are second, and Central Cordoba are fourth. Um, the shock in Group B is that Racing are the uh, odd one out of those top four. And the shock uh, is that Racing are there, to be place. honest, given how they've played for pretty much all of this Copa. Mm. It's, if you had to pick one odd one out, it would be Racing. And they actually are definitely through to the knockout stage yes. as well, because Godoy Cruz have 22, Belgrano and Racing have 21 each, and fifth place Platense have 17, and therefore can't catch them. So it's going to be Central Cordoba or Platense, or just possibly on goal difference, Sarmiento or Estudiantes, who are both on uh, 16 points, Central Cordoba have 19. Uh, but Central Cordoba in the driving seat for the final spot there. We'll obviously go into the um, last round of group stage fixtures in a bit more detail when we record next week, because they will be in front of us. But One tantalising little tidbit from this is that Colón could be playing simultaneously the quarterfinals of the playoffs mm. and a playoff to avoid relegation. This is a. Um, que contraste. It, it, is this a, a football manager fixture congestion <laughs> issue, or, or do you mean that by default it might turn out to be the same match? Uh, I don't know if they'd actually put the games on the same day, although that would be really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are is a precedent for it, of course, in Argentine football. Um, but it is technically possible for them to win this Copa de la Liga and get relegated still. Nice. And <laughs> that could be via a playoff. I have no idea how they would schedule. And that playoff play is unlikely to happen, but could be against Union. And that playoff could be against arch-rivals Union, yes. Juicy. A Santa Fe relegation derby, which would definitely not lead to the city of Santa Fe, hopefully not including Tony at that time, uh, going completely up in flames. Hmm. Um... As I said, we'll go into all of that stuff in a bit more detail next week. But in terms of broad brushstrokes, James, what have been the main stories 
since we recorded in uh, like mid-September, I think it was, wasn't it? We didn't record during October. Um, oh, we did the Zoom one, yes. Yeah, exactly. I and, was... and bearing in mind that I have been paying no attention whatsoever. I think it was days before the second leg of the semi-finals of Copa Leotores in which Boca advanced to the yeah. finals, uh, defeating, like always, Palmeiras on penalties. Yeah, and we will talk about the final of the Libertadores, which is the one match involving an Argentine side that I actually did watch while I was in Europe because it was shown by the BBC. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. In the Copa de la Liga, yeah. Gents, main headlines to take from the group campaign? One thing we can say is that San Lorenzo's alchemy of never scoring goals but still picking up points sadly was extinguished. Um, they are 10th in the standings with two wins, nine draws and only nine goals scored. And am I right in thinking they lost to a very late goal to, uh, against Boca last week? Or no. Nil-nil? They drew with a very, very late goal, controversially ruled out for San Lorenzo. Right. Uh, Boca won against Newells at the weekend with yes. a 90th minute goal, didn't they? Threw me again there. And I believe also. San Lorenzo... They did win. So, four of those 15 points have come in the last two games, which kind of says just how, how San Lorenzo they've been. But it just hasn't paid off as it did in, uh, in the Liga. It's pretty much the same product, different outcome, I guess. Um, conversely, Independiente, Carlos Tevez, they've been getting revelation. A, they've been getting a lot of late wins, I've seen, with Independiente. A lot of the, like, their late winners have come in 90 plus 4, 90 plus 8. Yeah, yeah I mean, recently. they haven't set the world on fire, but no. they've been very, very good. Uh, after the, that defeat on the first day against Colón, which was Ricardo Zielinski's last game in charge, uh, they've only lost one game, and that was uh, away to River. Um, Which, if I remember correctly, they didn't lose that heavily <laughs> as well. It was only like 2-1 or 3-1, wasn't it? I don't Against think. River? No, 3-0. Yeah. 3-0, okay. Um, but that was essentially good. I think Seven. River went ahead quite early, and uh, instead of doing what most sensible teams do against River when... That was when, when River had the, the 20 uh, consecutive wins home. For River, and yes. that was independent included. Yeah, basically what Tevez said, he said it at least, was that you know he wasn't going to be cowed and just you know play for a respectable defeat. He was going to go after the game, and yeah, that's why I he scored three goals. But yeah. he's, he, I mean, I don't, I can't remember specifically what we said the last time we were in this room recording, but I believe we slightly chortled at the fact that kind of Tevez was in charge and oh how's this going to go and I think he's certainly justifiably so uh, yeah absolutely but I think but I think he's he he justifiably has I don't know at least on a temporary basis proven certain people wrong not so much with the style of play but at least with the results as you mentioned before yeah just looking down group A only Instituto have lost as few games as Independiente uh, Independiente have six wins, five draws, and just two defeats. Instituto are on four wins, seven draws, yeah. and two defeats. They've been very um, strong defensively. That's what you can say uh, for certain. I yeah. mean, take away that River game, which was, you know, I think the motivation was yeah. an anomaly. That, that River game accounts for more than a third of the goals yeah. that Independiente Otherwise. conceded in these thirteen matches. He must say the players: if you have to block with your head, the ball with your head, do it. And, and the players get contagious with mm. with that style, and, and they do that and. Of course, they have also that luck, or not so lucky, that they win matches uh, in the last minute. 
because of they they have that uh, motivation in the 90 minutes of the game yeah I think we saw something similar at Central right um, a little towards uh, the end of last year when Tevez had that fairly nondescript um, run there it's kind of results weren't great but I think what you saw was you know kids 20 21 years old just the fact they were playing under Tevez seemed to kind of push them on and um, and get the best out of them and I think something similar has happened um, in Independiente like the the youngsters uh, Jimenez um, a couple of other guys they've really been the ones who've been dragging him on and Belis was under him right uh, yeah he put it Alejo Belis Buonanotte um, Infantino uh, so I think you know just having a guy like that in the dressing room you know an idol for these kids does help them you know maybe give them a little extra boost it's nice to say some nice things about Independiente for a change I mean nice slag them off when I have to slag them off but you know I try and be sort of objective and when they're doing okay also San Lorenzo uh, because they were two, two big teams were seriously uh, menaced by, by relegation and now they are of course not playing great football or, or in a bit they could be the champions of the Copa de la Liga in fact but both teams are now safe at least for, from, from that absolutely yes yeah we should talk about relegation in a little bit but uh, just looking down the just purely on the basis of goals scored and conceded um, does anybody have anything at all to say about Banfield who have scored nine and conceded six in 13 matches I'm guessing New San Lorenzo that you've been avoiding watching them for most of the campaign yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are sixth you know, they're, they're one that's of what I'm saying New San Lorenzo from, yeah. from the La Liga yeah. they're, they're one of those three teams who could just creep into the final um, yeah. or potentially not final so it's one of the other uh, qualification spots in the last week but we'll see would it um, be any surprise to learn that uh, Julio Falcioni is back in charge with those results and that goal difference sir? no well there no, we go not. Uh, over in Group B, Godoy Cruz, I've just tweeted, have got an even more miserly defensive record than Independiente and have scored the exact same number of goals, 13-4, 7 against, and that's good enough for first place in Group mm-hmm. B. Um, but what are the other takeaways in Group B, gents? Um, Boca just, I mean, not oh, just yeah, in that Copa de la Liga. They just can't win games of any sort apart from on penalties. Yeah. It's been incredible. Um it's been good enough to get them, you know, to the to the final of the Libertadores and the semis of the Copa Argentina. But they've li- literally won three of their last. I mean, going back to game one, that would be. Almiron is out, and he resigned just after the final at Boca lost against Fluminense. Yeah. Um, perhaps avoiding the uh, the station gas station uh, firing. Him because they've won three of their last 19 games in all competitions. That's yeah, that's poor. <clears throat> I, I think it's poor, but at the same time, they like got to the decided, decisive from, stages from my friends. The, it's amazing from my friends that are Boca fans, though. Um, <coughs> I think it's good riddance, as as you were kind of saying, Andres. Really, the football was so negative, never looked good. I oh never. god, yeah, just. Old matches where it seemed to get together or they do something epic, but never. I was struggling to realise why they hired him in the first place. He had Copa Libertadores pedigree, I guess. Got Lanús to a final. Not there is so anyone league. gets. He won the league with Lanús in twenty sixteen. Was it won the league with Lanús? Yeah, but like 
didn't. That was seven years ago. <laughs> you know, like like I don't know, like for a for a club like Boca, like I Chris, feel like you need a bit more pedigree than that. Boca hired Miguel Angel Russo in 2020 because he won the Libertadores in 2007. Like, success was recent in comparison. There's not a lot of logic to it. Oh, and we should say, I know not to make it too political already, but um, Macri's going to be going for vice president of Boca. Mm. Um, so. uh, I've seen a headline about that, but I wasn't really very clear on what it was. I just saw Riquelme versus Macri and thought, yes. are they arguing or something? So thank you yeah. for talking yeah. We do have a question about it, so we can go in a little bit. Excellent. Um, a little more detail. Do, are there any whispers or murmurs or shouts about who might be the next person in the Boca hot seat they've obviously got one group match left which isn't going to mean much and then it's that's it until I'm presuming the end of January when the, the league gets started but I someone Man mentioned Nogago's name oh, has come up that was just what I was going to say sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. No, no 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 you go I think the man that Magri has not hide, hidden because it's known is I think Martin Palermo as a possibility in fact Martin Palermo gave a massive or, or a public support to Magri's uh, not presidents in the cases, the vice presidents. What we do know is that Mariano Erron will be interim coach until the end of the year. They will not make Again. a new decision until after the elections. And what can you tell our listeners about Mariano Erron? Uh, his <coughs> last name sounds a bit like Heron. Or Veron. Who's one of Alan Erron's back? back yeah, yeah, he's like just an assistant Fire coach man. who's been. Uh, Promoted to caretaker, basically. Yeah. Um, he won a game, which is big for Boca. Of course, yes, because he was in yes. charge. In fact, Boca, I think that uh, might have been the last thing that Riquelme did. Well, if he wins, it won't be, have been the, the last one, but uh, they both, Marentiel, and I think it's a good decision. Hmm. He's been, I mean, he must have been their top, right? He was scoring yes. plenty for them. Uh, before I left, he's they were better than Cavani at least. Yeah. Now he's, I think that. Uh, uh, yeah, top scorer, six goals. Lucas Hansel mm. has two, Dario Benedetto has two. But along, along with yes. the, <laughs> with Advincula, with who has been the, the goal scorer for Boca in the Copa Libertadores. So, mm. yeah. it, it is hard, obviously, not to talk about the Libertadores yet without kind of talking yes, about Boca. Yeah, but what is the win against Newell's that they had at the weekend? Could you call that a little bit of saving grace? I don't know. Um, it was at least a something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I do slightly favour Bogger over a lot of other teams here and stuff. I've always aligned myself a little bit that way. So I just, I don't want to say too many mean things about <laughs> the team that I kind of follow. But um, I, I know what you mean, but I kind of feel like when, when it's happened before, like the Libertadores finals come before the end of, you know, whatever, back in the day when it was short tournaments and the Libertadores took up half the year before the end of the... Uh, the championship or now if it comes before the end of whichever competition they're playing in the second half of the year um, but it just feels a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show I think like whatever you've done in the Libertadores final whether you won it or you lost it uh, keep listening to find out what Boca did now we're on left probably gives you a big clue um, nobody really gives a toss about those last couple of matches that especially again because sorry to keep mentioning it but they're not going to be in the knockout stage of the Copa de la Liga they're down in 10th place yes, but, uh, and but four points when we were talking before that we started recording that these two matches are quite important for Boca because they could be not allowed to qualify because of the annual table 
to Copa Libertadores 2024 oh, okay. and they will be uh, in that case they should win Copa Argentina uh, I mean if they don't they don't do it perhaps they aren't uh, in Copa Libertadores I feel like they will find a way somehow I was saying that to you before um, that they'll find some kind of what's the like the like a different regulation and still find a way into the tournament <laughs> Um, but well, winning the Copa Argentina could help. Yeah, but even, even if all of these stars stuff. don't align, there's still going to be like the kind of the extra rule that they're going to get there somehow. Um, I was going to say something and I've forgotten what I was going to say, so someone else can talk. But yeah, um, thank you, Andres. So you've reminded me that I need to pull up the annual table as well. Oh, um, and River. Um, uh, unless somebody comes up with a really quite spectacular. Uh, hidden rule, River will be in next year's Copa Libertadores because they are 20 points clear at the top of the annual table. And because they won the league. Yeah, they, they won the league obviously quite comfortably. Uh, they've got 84 points so far from the year. Tacheres in second place have got 64 points. Um, River also 20 goals clear in goal difference, plus 38 to Tacheres at plus 18. Godoy Cruz have 63 points. Rosario Central have 62 points. Those are the four teams who, as it currently stands, are qualifying for next year's Libertadores. Estudiantes have 61, as do San Lorenzo. Um, and Boca are in 7th with 59. So Boca are the, uh, the lowest of the teams who could still qualify, again, with one group stage match remaining in the Copa de la Liga. If Boca were to win their match, and San Lorenzo, Estudiantes and Central were all to lose, Boca would claim 4th place on goal difference, uh, because... They've got plus nine. Everybody else is within one of them. So Central have got plus ten at the moment, but obviously if Central lost, theirs would drop to plus Can nine and, and Bockers would drop I, to at least plus ten. I have a question. Obviously, I've not been doing this podcast for 13 years like you guys. Obviously it, it, obviously, it would be a complete like, disaster for Bocker to not, like, kind of like embarrassing, you could even say, if they didn't qualify for the Libertadores. When was the last? When I was, I was curious. When was the last time they didn't qualify for the Libertadores? Not massively long ago. Yeah, I feel like it's been two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen. I feel like it might. Well, twenty eighteen, they definitely qualified because that was the final. Because they were in the final. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like it, it was might have happened then. since then. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so it might be like twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. Yeah. And, and was it kind of disaster sphere then? Like, not for have, me. Not the obviously not for you, but the, the thing is that. It, because everything, like, the, the whole atmosphere, especially around, obviously, how the media treat River and Boca in this country, is everything is to do with either whether you've won the Copa Libertadores this year, or, if not, whether you're going to be in next year's Copa Libertadores, that they will make it seem like a huge disaster, whether or not it is. I don't think that it's that bigger deal. No. Right? Like... No. It's not like when River or Independiente got relegated. <laughs> would you say that? Would you send them that like the similarities would be kind of when I'm sorry to make it about England, but when Manchester United don't qualify, haven't qualified for the Champions League in the last couple of years, like the kind of disastrous fear that that is. It's probably a little bit bigger than that, given that the vast majority of the time River and Boca do both qualify for the. The Libertadores, whereas in, in recent years, obviously United have been one yeah. season in, one season out, one season in. So it's a, United are a little bit more used to not qualifying for the Champions okay. League now. I regret to say, um, <laughs> I was correct, Sam. By the way, 
2017. Uh, Regarding the Tabla General, um, the bottom is really, really, really fascinating. I'm more interested in that, I think, than the Libertadores race. Thank Um, you for drawing attention to it. Yeah, obviously, as we have commented every time we've recorded this year, um, including last time, and nothing has changed since, Arsenal are completely screwed and are definitely going down. They are bottom of the... I assume they're still bottom of the Promedio. They are bottom of the Promedio still. Um, with oh, only three points fewer than Sarmiento from the same number of games, so they've gained a little bit of ground there. But they're also bottom of the Tabla Anual and are going to finish bottom of the Tabla Anual regardless of what happens, and therefore they're relegated. Mm-hmm. Um, Goodbye. They are on 35 points, but just above them, the other place is going to be held uh, taken by... Well, I guess, could they finish on... I'm just wondering whether they could really screw it up by finishing above Sarmiento on the Promedio. No, they can only finish level with Sarmiento, they put in on the Promedio. They're um, 20 points behind in that Promedio, so... Where are you looking? Hang on a second. Oh, I'm looking at the 2021 point total rather than the whole <laughs> That makes much more sense, yeah. yes. Okay, so it would take one hell of an effort uh, to get back in this last game. Ignore everything I've said for the last minute. They are relegated already <laughs> in the Promedio, and therefore the other relegation spot, because you might remember, I can't remember whether we covered this, whether it happened before I left or whether we covered it when we last recorded in September, but one of the relegation spots that was going to happen uh, was taken out mm. and so now it's just one from the promedio table and one from the annual table and that annual table spot is currently occupied by Union on 43 points but Gimnasia and Colón both have 45 and Sarmiento and Vélez both have 46 mm. so mathematically as Dan kind of hinted earlier uh, we could see a playoff we could see the Colón or Gimnasia go down if Union um, were to win their match and only one of Colón or Gimnasia were to lose theirs, then the, the one of Colón and Gimnasia who, lo- who lose will go down. Um, if Colón and Gimnasia or Sarmiento and Vélez or any two teams of those four finish on level on points, there will be a playoff. And if Union win their game, yeah, so Union obviously can't finish level with Colón and Gimnasia because they're two points behind, and that's what's confusing me. But if Union were to win their game and one of Venice or Sarmiento were to lose theirs, while Colón and Ignacia and the other one of Venice or Sarmiento all won, uh, then there would be a playoff between Union and one of the others as well. Not to celebrate like the demise oh, so of in any... Fact, oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. So what Dan, Dan mentioned earlier about Colón and Union potentially playing each other, that's not possible because of the fact they're two points apart with one game to go. Yeah, Union could win and Colón could draw. Oh, well done. Yeah, okay. Sure, so it is possible. Yes. I'm still not entirely over my jet lag. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> but also, it's not very simple either, so don't worry too much. Um, I was just going to say, not to celebrate the, the demise of, like... Of teams. course, in that scenario, uh, Gimnasia would have to get a point. Otherwise, they'd just go down and there'd be no left. Yes. It, oh, well, if, if Gimnasia got a point, then that would be a three-way playoff, wouldn't it? That, that would be a lot of fun. Yes. I was just going to say, who, who, does, who does one want to go down? There's, there's five <sighs> different teams there that could... Who I'd like them all to stay up. Okay. I wouldn't, obviously. Even us and I. have talked for years about how the league is far too big. And I'd like it's to strange to see, for example, Vélez, because of the year, a long time, it's a long time since they are Primera División, but mm-hmm. uh, they are poor campaigns. You can't hide that. You can't hide that. that. So I say send them all down, to be honest. 
I'm just cut it off, cut off at Tigre in 20 seconds. Yeah, I, keep I think Tigre. Sorted. More, more seriously, I'm going to recuse myself from answering because I feel that having watched only about half of the football that's been played here this year, <laughs> I shouldn't really give an opinion Fair on what I'd And in terms of being promotion that's changed since you were last here, promotion to the league. Uh, Independiente Rivadavia have already been confirmed by beating Amarante Brown. Um, in the uh, what was it? What's it called? The like playoff. Well, should we save that? We could save that for an extra, to be honest. Because oh yeah, that's a whole another. That's another story. subject. Like, we, we, yeah, there's I a lot to go for. Well, because I'm assuming there are still a fair few matches. There's still semi-finals and final to go. Yeah, right. both two-legged. So I think we will save that until it's actually yeah. all just happened. And then but we'll Deportivo Maipú is in the semi-finals of the reducido the playoffs. And if they finally get promoted, there will be three teams from another. Yes, because Independiente Rivadavia have already gone up. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the headlines that I had actually seen um, while I was <laughs> while I was in the world. Such a random headline to see from England. Like. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I check the headlines each ah. day, and that, that's one of the ones that does ring a bell. Is what ah, I should say. So I've right. seen. Basically, if it's been on the La Nacion sports page, which I have as one of my home pages on my browser, there's a fairly good chance that I've seen it. But that's one of the ones that actually rings a bell now that you've said it. Fair enough. Uh, is what I should have said there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I'm just going to go down the top players from the Copa de la Liga group stage and see whether anyone has anything to say <coughs> about any of them. Mm-hmm. So SofaScore, uh, who, as we know are nothing if not accurate, have, and I'm only going to go with the top threes here because that's what SofaScore gives you on the screen, and I'm just going to say, do you agree or disagree? Average ratings, which are always the most WTF part of SofaScore's football coverage, I think, have um, Tacheres' Rodrigo Garro and Guido Herrera, that's a midfielder and a goalkeeper, for those who are not aware, and Racing's Juan Fernando Quintero, as oh. the top three average-rated players Quintero's on the Copa group stage. No, no. Uh, sorry, so sorry. I'm assuming that we're not going to agree with no. any of those? It surprises me that there are no River players there, given that River at the top of Group A. I can't work out how they've got them, those players from uh, the 11th play, place team in Group A, and Quintero, who has probably had 20, 25 decent minutes this entire season for Racing, which has been a heartbreak for me because I was really, really excited about it, but he's not even made the team the last few weeks. He's play, playing in the starting lineups, even or not? not for the last few games now. This is the and he uh, hasn't really been missed. This is the wonder of Sofa Scores in rating system. I was just going to say I've scrolled down a little bit further, further than three, and there are one, two, three, four, five goalkeepers in that top ten of the. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. score rating. Um, Guido Herrera has been good for Tejeda's, to be fair. If you want a real hero, you can't look past Lucas Passerini, who came in Belgrano. Okay. Came into the Belgrano team. No one had really heard of him after their last unknown number nine who scored shitloads of goals, who was... Vichetti, of course. Paolo oh, Vichetti. I was going to say Paolo Vichetti. Paolo Vichetti. I thought, no, he's Gimnasia, isn't he? But of course, he's Gimnasia now. Mm. Not. Yeah. He got sold, took his 13 goals away with him to, to Gimnasia. Pasolini stepped up and gave Bergrano another top scorer in a, in a top flight division. 
And what about... Transition, sorry. So the, next, the next category goals. down is goals. So I was going to say, what about Passerini's joint... Uh, the, the man who is joint top scorer of the Coppa della Liga group stage, along with Passerini, Luciano Gondo, mm. whose name we did mention. Yes, former Sarmiento and River striker. Uh-huh. More in the reserve for River, and then for Sarmiento did good things, and well, now it's for Argentinos are even better. He has nine goals for Argentinos, as, as Andres just said, for Argentinos. Uh, so well done him and Adam Barreiro of San Lorenzo who's got seven goals while playing for San Lorenzo which I mean I don't it's think that's right? impressive mm-hmm. yeah. that's more than half the goals they've scored right we've got 13 in total I think um, assists Ulises Sanchez of Belgrano Agustin, such a great man Agustino Campo of Platense and uh, I assume there are more than one player on three assists but Ezequiel Barco is the one they've chosen to highlight of River with three uh there's lots, yeah. I mean, does anybody... I, I'm not really sure why I'm going through this, actually. Does anybody want three? To, I'm uh, enjoying it. Does anybody want to disagree with the fact that those three have got the most assists? I think, <laughs> I think the, uh, the facts are there. goes. not there to, to contradict it. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, penalty goals, free kick goals, scoring frequency in minutes. We can probably ignore all of those. Um, so... Brilliant, thank you. We've been recording for just over half an hour, so I think we're going to take a half-time break now. When we come back, we will discuss the Copa Libertadores final. We will preview the international break, and we'll answer some listeners' questions and talk about whatever else comes to mind. Don't go away. begin with the final of the Copa Libertadores de América, which was played in the Maracana in Rio de Janeiro, uh, a city through which I passed on my way back through here. I mean, I didn't really pass through the city, I just sat on the tarmac in the airport for a couple of hours because British Airways no longer do a non-stop Did you sense they're still happy about the win? Uh, Yeah. Yeah? Sure, why not? as I said, this is the, the one match that we're actually going to talk about um, in terms of South American football that I did watch while I was in Europe because it was on BBC Three. Um, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't I great, enjoyed it. but it wasn't bad either. Uh, Boca took a 1-0 lead. No. 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 No, they didn't. Sorry, what am I talking about? For some reason... Beca- Are you it's sure because you it was it? In, No, because it was in Rio, I, I've, I've decided that Fluminense were drawn as the home side, but in fact it was Boca versus Fluminense. Fluminense took a 1-0 lead 10 minutes before half-time through Germán Cano, who somebody, was it Seba on the uh, WhatsApp group mentioned, had become the first non-Brazilian to score for a Brazilian club in the Libertadores final since Dario Conca back in 2007 or 2008. Oh, and a year after that, Dario Conca was in China being the highest paid player in world football for about three years, getting like $500,000 a month or something, uh, a week. Um, Luisa Vincula equalised with a cracking goal, Great goal. Uh, with 18 minutes to go. In fact, all three of the goals were really good. Um, and then John Kennedy uh, got what turned out to be 
the winner nine minutes into the, extra that time was, and immediately got himself sent off for getting a second booking for his celebration. That was like a, an Argentinian journalist said after the match, a shot straight to the heart. Yes. For Boca. I think uh, I shot heard around the world. Yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. goal and then sending off was just peak South American football, I feel like, in that moment. Like, he got mm. sent off for just running into the crowd and celebrating way too much and getting that yeah. second yellow. I mean, it's November, it's a year ending in three, things don't go entirely to plan for John Kennedy. Who could have Yeah, and he, he was almost, he can't uh, go back to the, to the match. He was in the, into the in, in between the crowd and he was, just, like, trapped there. Just, just to see the emotion of scoring, like, you know, to put it like bluntly, a great shot from John Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, like just to see the emotion of joy, because it was a, it was a great goal. Mm-hmm. But then to see the emotion just drain from his face as he saw the yellow card and then the red card, and realised that he now has to leave the pitch, and he could have just blown it for his team in that yeah. small moment. Obviously, five minutes later, Boca decided that they wanted that to level things up. That was far around the other side. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just a terrible decision from the ref, though. Like, I don't care what the rules say. You can't send a 19-year-old off. Didn't even take his shirt off, insult any of the Boca players. Just ran, the steps to just ran to the, the fans. Like, people do it all the, the time. Like, so time deaf. Um, it would have been like just awful if you know that turned the game on its head. But mm. as but, you say, thanks to the fact that for, for Frank Fabra is an absolute idiot. For, for the yeah, just for the emotion and the drama of mm. the occasion, as finals go, because a lot of finals are shit. It was very entertaining yeah. from that goal, from the sending off, then I mean, a, it an was, additional sending off. It was off. tense, and more than yeah, more than entertaining, like um, yeah. yeah, a tense thriller rather you know than a free flowing exhibition oh, yeah. of football. And the thing Absolutely. is that when Boca uh, got the equaliser, it was closer than Fluminense in the fact that perhaps Fluminense was. Or thought that with one nil was okay. Mm. A lot of teams do that, and and then when Boca got the equalizer, which was nothing from for of that match, it was a, an, another match goal because uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because that's, that's the other thing, right? Like the first half, Fluminense only going in one nil up at half time was. Well, Travis, I mean, yeah. Boca were really lucky. I think, but I think I do think that touch. the second half, Boca started off. Much better, I thought. And by the time they got the equaliser, I thought, yeah, they probably deserve I, it based on the balance of play, based on the fact that Fluminense wasted so much of that. But it was clear that they didn't, didn't, and they don't need us a lot of, since a long time ago to play well to win. Mm. It's, it's to score two goals or one more goal than the rival. That This is it. I think Fluminense won the first half, Boca probably won the second half. Um, it was also an additional point would be that I think. Uh, that was the best Boca have played in the competition probably since the group stages as well, mm. um, which like credit where credit is due. Um, the Fabra sending off, I know you just briefly touched upon it. But can you just remind me what it was for? Because I can see violent conduct on here. But on he, the, he like, basically... Um, it was there in was, the middle of kind of a huddle which formed after oh, Boca had... Yeah, someone had was like on the floor. And yeah. it was going to VAR. It was a, it was a, and it was a complete dive. It was a, com- it was a complete never dive. And then there was a, yeah, a, a kerfuffle, as some would yeah. say. Mm. And then he just decided... It wasn't even like a hard slap. It was a really no, soft yeah. slap. Well, you, but it was still... You, you can't you, do that. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't a wrestling up. match. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. And, it, and the referee didn't originally see it, but then it went to VAR and then it was pointed out to him and... By then, it was curtains for Fabra, really. Mm. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, the, I think Boca had the one man advantage for what was it, a grand total of four minutes or five it's minutes? Not a, not a lot of time. It, I mean, completely idiotic play. Um, or not play, as you would say. You know, it, it was just the thing is so that stupid. it's not the first time he does something like that. Uh, <laughs> even his teammates, uh, I, I remember um, Izquierdos uh, snapping, and he was he wasn't sent off at that time. But uh, yes, it's uh, uh, he repeats, and perhaps like uh, I think it was uh, Streamer said that they the Colombian players have that that they they don't they don't play with the context. They don't. <laughs> Care about that. The idea of blaming it on Colombian players, though, when you're talking about the Copa Libertadores, which we've mentioned many times in the 13 years of this podcast, is just the ultimate competition it's like, for precisely it's this kind of thing, regardless hot, of where the players are from or the, the club. The hot-headedness and just the, like, kind of general ignorance of the situation that they were in. They, I mean, they managed to yeah. fortunately get themselves one extra man because of that uh, red card for, for Kennedy. And just just to within five minutes to just like piss it away. It was just so stupid. If Boca were going to win that game, it was because because of like a contentious decision where they were going to have an extra man advantage or a dodgy penalty, and then, then to just like just slap it. It was so stupid. And then that is Fabra though. Like it or lump it. I mean, there's a reason someone with his fantastic technical attributes. Fantastic physical attributes. No, um, well, is still playing for yeah. Boca yeah. now in his early thirties or mid thirties. I don't know how old he is. Um, it's just never been able to like, you know, marry the intelligence he's got in his feet. Thirty-two with, with the intelligence or lack of he has in his head. Mm. I mean, he would have been. I think he could have been. Mm. I've always said it. One of the top left backs in the world. If you know, to quote the scarecrow, if he only had a brain. <laughs> Um, the, the, uh, he is who he is. A know. couple of like notes uh, from the game was like both Fernandes I don't think played that well for Boca. Mm. Uh, Cavani had a really poor game and was taken off I think before the ninety minutes were up when he he didn't even he wasn't even in the extra he, time. Well, he was injured. Yeah, it seemed like he was he had some sort of discomfort. Yeah, replaced by Dario Benedetto with twelve minutes to go. And then when they uh, when they are two one down in extra time, this is my, my final kind of take on the game. The this was where Almiron's poor tactical setup was so apparent. So in extra time when they were chasing a goal, Boca like for the last what about ten, fifteen minutes were just pumping balls into the box, expecting Cavani to be there and he hadn't been on the pitch for thirty minutes. Like, and it was like Yeah, and, and he wasn't there. It was just like like if you've got Benedetto on the pitch, you you play the ball and try and get like find a way so that Benedetto can take a shot from just outside the box. That's well, yeah, kind of what he's good at. You're getting down the channel, so exactly. you to, to turn the defender. But also Benedetto, forgive me if I'm going to say this, and it turns out he's actually been on fire throughout the Copa de la Liga group stages while I've not been watching. But he since his return to Boca, he's just not been the same player no. as he was during his first. Spell. Absolutely not. And on that note, actually, because he's reminded me, I was going to ask. I'm sure that. We have other people who are wondering, who like me are uh, Manchester United fans and might be wondering how Cavani's got on. First half of the year he wasn't great. What's he been like for the last few months, just generally for Boca? I get the impression he's not exactly torn up any trees. There's occasional he's been like flashes. Cavani at his worst, like such a trier, never you know stops running, never stops doing the dirty work. But you know he's that kind of striker that when he can't get a goal. It's just not going in mm. by hook or by crook. Um, just seems 
forlorn in front of goal and you know all strikers had them spells but uh, I've seen it you know from Cavani before and it's just you know came at a very bad time for him and, and for Boca because I, I would say that like one thing that I will give him credit for it's not like he stopped trying that's yeah, yeah I think exactly a lot, I think, I think a lot of players you would can never him. accuse Cavani of not being a grafter and of you know, letting it's, his head go down. It's like his career and his professional way of playing is like, perhaps that's something to imitate from the other players, but in terms of the of the performances, yes, he's not at his best. And the idea is that, or the, the feeling I think that Boca supporters have is that he came to Boca not being fit or not at his best. And, mm. and that is notorious. I think. Yeah. But then again, you know, to go back to what I was saying about Fabra, that's why he came to Boca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. So, I mean, he's rather older than Fabra and he's had a slightly more successful yeah. career. No, I'm saying if he could still do it at the top level, yeah. he would have been, he would still be at the top level, he wouldn't be a Boca. Indeed. Uh, just to conclude, congratulations, Fluminense. If we have any, uh, I was going to say if we have any Brazilian mm. listeners, but it's what five, I actually mean is if we have any Fluminense fans listening. It's five Copa Libertadores won by Brazilian clubs in a row, right? right? It's Palmeira, Flamengo, Fluminense now. Yeah, it's Flamengo, Flamengo, Palmeiras, Palmeiras. No, Fluminense. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's Fluminense's first ever Libertadores. And and mm-hmm. additionally, so. the the scenes from um, the manager afterwards, like I don't know, it was it was nice to see. He seemed happy in his <laughs> just, little track. Yeah. Just think of Denis. Poor guy has to work two jobs to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah. He was there in his trackies. Did you see oh. him? He, he did not look like he was dressed for the occasion. Mm. Um, well, revolutionising. Uh, tactical world football if you pay any attention to tactics YouTube at least um, yeah it, it, I mean, it, it's nice to see a new winner even if they yeah. are one of the continental giants I guess it's a bit like when San Lorenzo won in uh, 2014 yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, isn't it finally getting that first copper uh, so congrats to Fluminense and now we shall move on to well we're not entirely moving away from the Maracanã because We'll be back there, discussion-wise, in a few minutes' time. I assume, actually, I don't, I've just realised I've said that, and I don't actually 100% know where the match is being played, but I assume it's in America now. I think it is. Uh, because we're now going to talk about World Championship qualifying, as SofaScore, for some reason, call it, World Cup qualifiers. Um, if you've not been paying any attention at all, I've been paying attention to the results, and I have seen all of the goals, not that I can remember them now, from the last couple of international breaks, um, because I've been paying attention to YouTube. And the, frankly, spectacular news is that, not entirely surprisingly, Argentina have won four out of their first four matches, but somewhat surprisingly, Brazil have only won two of their first four matches. Argentina are the only team with 12 points. Uruguay, Brazil, and and if you don't normally listen to this podcast sitting down, then I hope you're sitting down now. <laughs> Venezuela are all on seven points. Colombia on six. Ecuador uh, on four. Sorry, I paused there because Ecuador are in sixth, but they have four points. Paraguay also on four in what's currently the playoff spot. Just a reminder that Colombia get six and a half qualification spots yeah, for this World Cup due to the ridiculous decision. Ecuador should have seven, but they have... Minus three, right? Yeah, the, uh, what's his name? The guy who was sort of ineligible, the but not ineligible enough to get him kicked out of the World Cup. Bayern Castillo, yeah. no. 
Brian Gatisha. Oh, Brian. Well remembered, yeah. Um, Baidu. Baidu. Oh, yes. yes. And Chile also have four points, but are currently behind Paraguay on goal difference. Uh, Peru and Bolivia are ninth and 10th. I think that there is a certain irony in the fact that we, <coughs> we talked before this campaign kicked off about the fact that given there are six and a half spots now, maybe Venezuela will finally be able to scrape into the World Cup. And from the first four matches, they've been brilliant. They dr- they're the fourth place. They've got a draw, they got in, a draw in Brazil. Brazil. Uh, with a great goal and, as well. Oh. And if there were only five and a half, uh, four and a half spots as there normally are, they would currently be sitting in an automatic qualification spot anyway. And given everything that's going on in the country, it would be really nice to and see. And Rondon scoring goals there and at River also. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I might just stop paying attention to Argentina altogether because they're going to get into the next World Cup. I, I was I'm just going to get all behind Venezuela. Okay. I, I was... Um, I, I went to my first Argentina game since I last saw you, and um, uh, that was against Paraguay at the Monumental. A um, couple of notes: Otamendi's goal was fantastic. It was in the first like few minutes as well, um, and unfortunately, it kind of ruined the game in some ways. Even yes, though it was it such did, yeah. because you say that, but that first half Argentina played, even if it didn't translate into like four or five goals, that was. One of the best pure halves of football and creative, just free spirited play. I, I tracked down. Some I've extended. seen almost ever, and it was without Messi. It was. I, Messi was still I tracked down some extended highlights of, of that match, and mm. yeah, I mean, it was just. It was that Holm, Holm it was Holm Holm stuff, traffic, just, yeah. but just it, they, no player had a position. They were just they, no, jumping between. They were absolutely phenomenal. It was kind of like a kind of exhibition match, mm. and like you say, with the Holland Globetrotters. Yes, and uh, the, he couldn't get another goal after that. The, the only, like, this is the only negative I can take from it, is that the fact that Otamendi scored so early, it completely killed the atmosphere, because everybody was celebrating with the goal, and then everything was kind of flat, because Messi wasn't on the pitch, and kind of, it was just like, well, this is a foregone conclusion from here, so therefore it just... In the stadium, it just—I don't know—I was expecting to hear like roars for the majority of the game from there, and it was—you could hear a pin drop at times. It's um, national team supporters, yes. man. I never yeah. get your hopes up too much. The only thing the is that na- they, national team atmosphere is never, unless it's like a Copa America final, World Cup final, it's never going to get. And the only thing area. is that they were so creative with the ball, playmaking a lot, and the goal came from a prepared play. We will say. Hmm. Set piece, yeah. One thing I will say was the atmosphere really jumped up to a giant level the moment Messi did come on, and at that moment he had been out for a few weeks. He hadn't played for uh, into Miami, and this was his like comeback. Um, and he did uh, kind of in front of where we were standing, hit the post uh, with a free kick, um, which like it, it was just extraordinary. Like, like, it, like to see. I don't know. I've never seen him play live before, and to, to see him play, I've seen him a thousand times on TV. But to see it live, you see it. You see everything you that he's. A, that oh my god! Yeah. Like, like the way he. His. I was just. I, I couldn't take my eyes off him. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that sounds like a love story, but like, genuinely, just the what his movement without the ball is is one thing. But when he has the ball, like. Mm. It, it's as if like the opposing team is just like they they get distracted watching like like a, an incredible player play that they forget that they have to defend against 
yes. said player. Mm. And it was extraordinary. And in fact, that isn't what's happening. It's just that they can't keep up. With oh, it, exactly. It's, it's no. a lot like, I, I find it interesting. I mean, obviously, I've, I've only seen him on TV now for, for years and years, but it's kind of similar to, to Riquelme, when, especially when he got older, mm. where he is, obviously, in Messi's case, Messi's not really lost that much pace in that he didn't have a hell of a lot before, but he's, he's not got much slower, I would say, with age. Mm-hmm. He still runs very quickly. Um, for the age that he is but you know Riquelme was like objectively the slowest player on the pitch yeah and yet somehow when he had the ball the op- opposition couldn't get near him the whole um, game just used to revolve around him exactly yeah. uh, like it was an orbit yeah and, and, and the sun Messi, was uh, Riquelme Messi has that same thing of being mm. mentally three or four steps ahead of everybody mm. else oh. and also not being as physically slow as Riquelme. But Riquelme so used his mind serious trouble. and his body because the way he protected the ball with his body was also something that, uh, I mean, the, 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 the one who was marking him was like perhaps watching the ball, but he couldn't uh, take the ball off him. Yeah, our good friend Rupert Fryer, um, good friend of the podcast, uh, used to say that Riquelme had, I don't think he meant it, Literally, but kind of figuratively, Riquelme had the biggest arse in world football. Because if he's got the ball and you're not standing directly in front of him, you're not getting anywhere near the ball. Uh, because he was that good at just blocking it off One. and then embarrassing you with a turn and, and coming away with it somehow. And Messi is so similar and also so much greater in so many ways one um, just little side note away from Messi uh, Couti Romero was absolutely phenomenal in that game um, completely shut out any sense of any Paraguayan attack like just some of the tackles that he was making they were just so well timed and um, again I, I, you know defending isn't kind of the sexy kind of thing that you want to watch but when it is good it's really good and he was absolutely phenomenal um, mm. in that game so that's the last thing I'll say on it the follow up to that was a 2-0 win away to Peru which I did not see as much of but was two goals from Messi 10 minutes apart um, in the last third of the first half mm. basically and just I mean based on the highlights I saw it's just job done just right, completely one-sided from uh, from start to finish. I think a uh, lot more open game, as you can imagine. You know, pa- going from Paraguay away, yeah, uh, Paraguay at home. Sorry, from the Argentine perspective, to Peru away. Uh, Peru went for it a lot more and made Argentina a little bit uncomfortable at times, but just left the space. Um, and you kind of saw a much. I think I said it at the time. I wrote an article or something on it. Um, kind of night and day, you know, from the Harlem Globetrotters, Argentina to just pure structure, counter attack, rapid, rapid, um, you know, use the whole pitch and get the ball in the middle. Mm. One, one. Um, and they just, you know, again, liquidated that game in the, in the first half and, and just didn't really give Peru a breath. One thing to note, they still haven't conceded since the uh, World Cup final. Yeah, as well. Indeed, uh, because Actually, for everything we've said over the years about Argentina's defence, and they've gone like ten games without conceding a goal now. Yeah, because and, and part of that as well is because the two. So that that was in the most recent doubleheader that was last month, but the month before uh, in the doubleheader, I'm not sure we talked about this 
on to, we might have recorded I it think we mentioned it, no I think we mentioned it um, I remember but just, something about it just to go over now that we've got some decent sound quality and I'm not having to hum the theme tune anymore and we've got a proper episode again uh, Lionel Messi scored with 12 minutes to go in the opening World Cup qualifier at home to Ecuador to give them a 1-0 win of another match that they had completely dominated um, and could only find a way through late on but an interesting thing and a thing that I think really illustrates now just what a complete team this is and it seems weird that they've won the World Cup and now we're talking almost about how much they've improved since then mm. um, is that the most comfortable win scoreline wise so far of this World Cup qualifying competition was away to Bolivia yeah. <laughs> which is supposed to be the struggle isn't it you're not and supposed to as Argentina you're not meant to go to Latin and again with no Messi like, oh yeah this is a piece of piss let's What's just going score on? three goals why not and again with no Messi right yes yeah. uh, Messi did not st- in fact I think he'd already gone back to Miami before that match I can't remember whether he was on the bench um, well he wasn't on the bench in he was able to travel well. and he was on the bench but not eligible for yeah he, he wasn't named on the bench uh, goals from Enzo Fernandez and Nicolás Tagliafico uh, in the first half, and Nicolas Gonzalez quite late on in the second. If I if I have to make one criticism, even though you know they are a complete team, the one weak spot I think they do have is Nicolas Gonzalez. Now I watched a lot of Gonzalez when he was at Stuttgart before he went to Italy. Um, I think he's a great player, but I think it's an area that they could maybe <clears throat> improve on, or he needs to kind of step it up a little bit because the amount of chances that he wastes. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know. For me, it becomes a little bit apparent, and um, you know. Well, I don't, I don't think it's a, a surprise, not a surprise, but I don't think it's a coincidence that he kind of slipped a little bit out of the team after the the, the opening match at the World Cup, and as a result, he he was not. He was, he was injured. injured for of course, he was. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I remembered him not being. In he, I think he was there. I think he might but, have been there, but he didn't actually. I think he he's still feeling the the ill effects of. Papo Gomez's hex. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Maria is back at the squad. I think and probably would be good for for Scarlin to give another chance to to Nicolas Gonzalez. You know, yeah. the team is is playing perfectly. It's like in a structure in which you put a player, quit another one, and and they work anyway. Yeah. I was actually yesterday I was just talking to um, a mate of mine who follows very closely Serie A. Um, and with that prompting, he, he brought up Nicolas Gonzalez. Says he's been absolutely fucking brilliant this year for Fiorentina. Hmm. Um, and ju- just uh, on that, uh, decided to pull up his stats. Yeah, eight goals in in fifteen games so far this season. So wow. I mean, yeah, I think he can put it together. Like I don't. I think he's going to be kind of maybe a similar to Di Maria player. You know, you're going to get those frustrating games. You're going to get them games where he just seems to be in the wrong match almost well, the other um, thing is he's, he's, but he's good he's definitely oh I'm not saying he's, he's a bad he's player he's 25 years old so like oh. it makes some sense that you know he's getting to the point now in his career where he's just starting to kick on a little bit it, mm. I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad player I think he's a great player I just think that the amount of chances that he wastes either like look for the pass or like you know know where the goal is mm. um, that yeah. would be my only point I, and just to add to that like Palacios has been playing incredibly well for Bayer Leverkusen in the Bundesliga and like he can't get like 10 minutes for Argentina. There's a lot of competition for places which oh, you know good. 18 months ago could you have said the same thing, you know, it would have been yeah. you know. The thing is that Palacios now perhaps will play in the, in uh, replacing uh, McAllister who is at now at a, as a number 5 perhaps and he's also brilliant. Uh, 
So it will be hard for him to have more minutes than at this point. Than yeah. Indeed. Yeah, you're not losing a bit. It just, I don't know, like Palacio seems to come all this way for these World Cup qualifiers <laughs> from Germany and, and, you know, get to play five minutes and then it's just kind of like, like why are you giving him that kind of jet lag? But it's like, he, <laughs> he like Palacios gained more uh, protagonism at Leverkusen when Aranguis left, could be that. Uh, he was playing like kind of in and out. Uh, they were chopping and changing a lot of that centre midfield, but this season it's been uh, Palacios and Granit Xhaka just in the centre midfield, and they're both absolutely. It's like they both found their place all of a sudden um, in a team. So yeah, good to hear. Um, in terms of the setup of the group stage, then obviously going into this latest double header, it's not certain. But it looks quite likely. You know, if Argentina avoid defeat in one of the matches, then they're pretty much guaranteed to finish this doubleheader still top of the group, I think, or uh, yeah. joint top. Um, but they are playing what should be the two most difficult matches that they've had so far in the campaign. They are at home to Uruguay on Thursday evening, hence why we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, and then next Tuesday, they are away to Brazil. And as medium to long-term listeners will remember, uh, the World Cup qualifier in which Argentina were away to Brazil during the last set of World Cup qualifiers didn't end up getting played because Brazil's fascist president was far too afraid to allow a very weakened Brazil team to definitely lose at home to the uh, (laughs) Copa America champions as they had recently been crowned. Um, and got the match called off. Just a reminder, Brazil still have never lost a World Cup qualifier at home. Uh, next Tuesday feels like... I mean, the way they've started, and after Brazil only drew at home to, to Venezuela, again, yeah. Venezuela doing fantastic, no offence, but they're not Argentina. If Argentina are ever going to win right? again a World Cup qualifier in Brazil, this is going to be the one. If anyone's ever going to win a World Cup in Brazil. I have right. a feeling that they might potentially draw with Uruguay because um, Bielsa's Uruguay are looking a lot better well this and, is the other and, big narrative and, and, and Suarez and I was going to say and Suarez is back for Uruguay but Brazil yeah they, they do seem to be a bit kind of not really knowing what their best team is who their manager is who they're going to call up this time there just seems to be in a bit Brazil seem to be in a bit of a place where they don't really know quite what's going on this it's like they're still shocked from their World Cup exit yes. But it's mm. been almost a and year. And the players that they yeah. have a lot of players everywhere. Yes. Yeah. They have 20 of their 24-man squad. Uh, no, just 20. It's more than 24. Uh, have fewer than 10 caps. It's very much That's an great. experimental, yeah. I mean, so yeah. So the exceptions must be what? Casemiro? Is he in there? Uh, you got Rafinha, Rodrigo, Vinicius and Gabriello. Up front, they're still strong, let's say. Mm-hmm. No Bruno Guimaraes no. is the only midfielder with more than 10 caps. Renan Lodi and Marquinhos are the only defenders with more than 10 caps. And then Alisson is the only goalkeeper with a cap. Not like that. And they want, they want to have uh, what, Neymar was Neymar's injured there. and yeah. Ederson, who also mm. got injured uh-huh. uh, again. Alisson's not bad, to be fair. Like. Yeah. No. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. They're missing Danilo, they're missing Edra Militao, Alex Teles, Casemiro, of course, Paqueta. No, Qu- too much for a loss for Richarlison. 
Anthony. I have a question for you, <laughs> Again, Sam. <laughs> I have a question for you, Sam, yeah. just in regards to Argentina squad. Is Garnacho injured? Because he'd been called um, up previously to I'm not sure. All, squads. All I have seen is a few headlines on uh, Man United fan blogs saying that he's been dropped from the squad. I'm not aware of any injury problems. Interesting. So, yeah. in, in other words, if he is, then it seems like a very short-term injury and presumably he'll be back for the next or next club game or the one right. after that because otherwise they would have said, oh, he's going to be out till the new year. Or something. He, he didn't come on. He has made a few substitution appearances for Argentina. He has, um, he has made, he, so far, he's got the number of caps that he needed to earn before his 18th or 19th birthday in order to tie to Argentina for life, right. basically. Um, Even though he what, wasn't it, he grew up in Spain or born in Spain. He's born in Spain. Born in Spain. Spain. Has never lived in Argentina. Right. We so should mention another born in that Spain. Garnacho isn't there, but we do have another Spanish-born Argentine who's coming. Who's that? Pablo Mateo. Okay, I know the name. Yeah, uh, Mallorca right back, who actually arrived to Ezeiza sometime this week and went straight to the um, how do you call it? The Interior Ministry. Booth, yeah, in the airport to to get his DNI printed up. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. excellent. Uh, DNI for those who don't identity uh, card. Yeah, yeah don't, don't speak enough Spanish. Know what that stands for? Is the your national identity card basically? And there's um, another uh, new face, or at least yeah, so uh, face, Francisco Ortega, yeah. former Belis, former Belis. Yeah. I always assume when I see a new kind of young player, I can't remember much. I ah, must play for Belis. And you're almost always right. Yeah. Argentinos. It's almost as if they had a massive conveyor belt of young talent, mm. even by Argentine club standards. Um, yeah. Uh, the other fixtures coming up are Bolivia versus Peru, Venezuela versus Ecuador, Colombia versus Brazil, Argentina versus Uruguay, of course, Chile versus Paraguay. Those are all on Thursday night. And then next Tuesday, Paraguay v. Colombia, Uruguay v. Bolivia, Ecuador v. Chile, Brazil v. Argentina, and Peru v. Venezuela. Keep listening if you want to hear my predictions for all of those matches, because I feel like being very, very silly indeed and just doing all of those for Mystic Sam. But in the meantime, shall we do some listeners' questions? Let's, let's do it. It feels good to do this for the first time in a few months. Uh, we've had one from Chacarita Juniors in English. Just for a note, by the way, I'm not actually checking, first of all, whether any of these are questions. I'm just going to read out the tweets if you've sent them. So Chacarita Juniors in English says, Missed you guys, obviously. Thank you very much. Have you noted the shenanigans around the promotion from the Bay? By which I assume he means the Primera Nacional. More teams than ever are buying officials, players, games, it seems, all season and through the playoffs too. Or have I got that wrong? And why am I looking forward to next season? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to assume from the way that this has been phrased uh, that Chacarita aren't doing very well. Uh, they did okay, they missed they? out on the playoffs on the last day. Okay, um, which was a shame. You know, uh, as someone who sympathises with Atlanta, as, uh, as our teams, our teams buying officials, players, and games. I think this is something we should probably save either for a kind of more B orientated sure. episode we do later on, or an extra because more it, there's a lot here. Oriented, Dan. I'm going to continue to correct you. <laughs> Thank you. We have to get, be up to date with the. Local oh yes, absolutely. Um, yes, there has been a lot. There have been a lot of rumblings. There are always a lot of ramblings. Um, and Chacarita Juniors in English's next question is: And why am I looking forward to next season? I don't know. I mean, it's very entertaining. You're a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Yeah, it's entertaining. Pete McCulloch says it was mentioned by several others over the weekend, and I think by others, uh, he might mean you, Dan. 
but I'd be interested in hearing about the Paraguay v Argentina dwarf match. Another world Argentina world champions again mm. in the dwarf World Cup. So is that checked, official title? That is in English. It's the official title. Yeah. Okay. Um, in Spanish, it is the Mundial de Tachabaca. So mm. the short statured World mm. Cup would it be? Or the yeah. Yes, because yeah. Tasha would be almost size, so it's the, the short size yes. World Cup. Uh, the final was hosted in Argentina. This was Sunday. It, uh, no, Saturday. Oh, gosh. Ghost I'm going to apologise for that pause, but uh, Dan's patio door just unexpectedly open. open yes. I'll leave it open because it's quite a nice quite breeze. Breeze. Yeah, I was going to say. Bring in someone's, someone's toast. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was on Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon. Between Argentina and uh, and Paraguay, Paraguay stormed into an early lead, um, but Argentina fought back uh, to go three one up the during the first half um, via either two or three penalties. I can't remember. Andres, no, yeah, you couldn't watch. There were def- there were at least two penalties. Um, Paraguay decided that this wasn't on. The referee was against them, and I think there was also a little bit of grief in the stands. I don't know if uh, a few people were, were throwing objects from from the stands of Argentinos Juniors' micro stadium. That was this ties into something I'm going to ask once you get finished with the match. But carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decided to walk off, um, and in doing so, they had the support of most of the other countries, which. Was a brilliant feature, I think. Um, all of, like, the other participant participating nations, who all seem to be from South America, weirdly enough, hmm. um, were at the game in their full kits watching and encouraged Paraguay to just fuck off. Which I think says something, you know, about Argentina's uh, yes, how uh, reputation um, among their South American football brotherhood. Uh, so they just. Yeah, Paraguay just left. Um, the Argentine team stayed in the field for a while, kind of kicked the ball around, tried to look busy. At some point, it became apparent Paraguay weren't going to come back. So they just everyone started celebrating. Family and friends all came on the pitch. Um, they laid out flags. And yeah, with that, Argentina were crowned Dwarf World Cup champions. Congratulations. Congratulations. Argentina. I think it's their third... Victory or fourth? So when you mentioned the venue, my question was going to be, mm-hmm. what does? I mean, were you watching this on TV or did you hear about it or what? Uh, I wasn't watching originally, but when I got wind of the the ruckus, yeah. I, I switched over. So when it was streamed or it was televised, it was something? on Deportivo. Okay. Uh. So the question is, what does dwarf football look like? Like, how how big is the pitch? <laughs> How You're trying players? to get me cancelled. No, 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 no. What I mean is, because, for example, I remember right. back when I started blogging about Argentine football, Argentina won their second or third uh, blind World Cup in a row. Yeah. The Murcielagos, the uh-huh. bats, as they're actually mm-hmm. called. Um, the national team won that. And so I found this is back in like 2006 or 2007 or something. So it was quite a struggle, but I managed to track down online some highlights. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously, it's not played on an 11-a-side football pitch outdoors in a massive stadium. It's played in like a very small um, uh, court indoors. Mm. So 
what kind of venue is it played on? How how big is it? How big are right. the goals? How many players are there on each team? Uh, it's futsal, basically. Right. Yeah. Regular futsal. I believe there is an outdoor variant of uh, dwarf football, mm-hmm. um, which is played pretty much eight aside on an eight aside pitch. But this was futsal five or six aside. I can't remember. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Welcome, Johnny. Says, what are the chances of Riquelme giving Macri a knuckle sandwich? Well, I mean, we can hope. Oh, I think he's fine. Um, Who? Riquelme or Macri? Riquelme. I, I don't think he's going to punch Macri, but I think he will deliver a, a figurative punch in the ballot boxes. Uh huh. Super. Tommy Buendia, perfect Tommy, says, missed you all. Hope you have a good break. Uh, miss you too Tommy thank you very much Tommy and we miss you as well do you think Marcelo Gachardo overplayed his hand a little if he's merely shortlisted for Al Itihad oh this was the big story today I was going to say Um, I saw a tweet from you earlier or report um, at least TSA Sports were going apeshit about it Um, Gachardo um, uh, supposedly now just a step away from uh, taking over at Al Itihad with Benzema and Kante of course Mm -hmm. Um, half of them seemed outraged that he would be I don't even know how to classify considering the shit show that was TSA <laughs> between like their half you know Boca contingent saying this guy doesn't deserve to be one of the best how is he going to get paid more than Pep Guardiola completely you know or you know other non Petro State sponsored uh, top coaches mm-hmm. you know completely ignorant of the that financial reality, which yes. means, um, and the other saying like, oh, how could you pass up Barcelona, United, PSG to take this job? Yes, what have you done? They've all offered him the yeah. job. <laughs> um, kind of just delusion streaming out of every uh, is he every pixel of that screen? Is he like actively looking now, or is he still I, on his long sabbatical? No, the impression thinking. I've had for quite some time is that after River... Yeah, right. Like, yeah. After, after his playing career, he's not really been doing anything for the money. Mm. And since he quit River, he doesn't... Like, if he gets a job that interests him, he might take it. He's enjoying and life. Not, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Right? I, mean, I think we started to suspect I'd, I'd, it, right, like, towards the end of River. Yeah, like, and also... He's just going to play out of River until he, kept, until he got bored. Yeah. And then... Yeah. And unlike a lot of players and ex-players and a few managers... He doesn't strike me as... Well, he clearly isn't somebody who is like, I'm never moving back to Argentina. I don't want to live in Argentina. I want to live in Europe because yeah. of you know safety, economic security, being in the same country as my money, all, like, all the rest of this stuff, right? He's not too bothered about that. He's quite happy to just to live in Buenos Aires yeah. or wherever it is. The other night he was watching he Sarmiento Junín match uh, because yeah. his son, Nahuel, is playing exactly, there. Yeah. So. And, and he clearly you know, is more sensible than lots of footballers are or were during their careers and is okay money-wise. But at the same time, and so, some Saudi club comes up saying, I'm going to give you yeah. 20 million to coach me for a year. Yeah. Yeah, right. Why in, not in that keep re- my eight kids happy and their grandkids for In the that regards, then, years? is he, would you say, since, you know, I was going to say, like, is he probably waiting around for Scaloni to kind of like say like oh, I've had enough and yeah. Maybe I, obviously not. like what would be the point but like that would be more of a kind of like romanticised job for yeah. him that he could be like yeah I could do that I would but enjoy doing that rather than like 
I'm going to move to Saudi Arabia. And if nothing else, he's got a good record in knockout football. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, like, I, I genuinely think that he might just not be that taken by any other managerial role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it might be that all of this talk about Aliti had at the moment is purely down to the fact that they've offered him a job and everybody outside football or everybody who's not him is like, why would you turn down the amount of money yeah. they're going to be able to pay you? And we don't know. What but maybe he does. Well, right? yeah. like, you know, hmm. might say yes. I've, give it, I've given up trying to predict what Gashadro no. will do. We tried yeah. it so many times over uh, these um, these if podcast he, years and never going to work. I think that if he gets that job it's because he he said to the Arabian, so the Arabian uh, members, world members of the club, well, I, I want 2,000... Uh, $200,000 million per, per season. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot, but we will pay you. Well, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, perhaps, uh, because it's a lot of money, incredible money, and, and, and by working one year there, it's okay for him, and he will have enough money for his, the rest of his life. And, and this is it. Uh, and also, if you ask Robbie Fowler, um, you know, just because you've got a three-year contract there, or however many contracts, like you could just leave after like three months, despite <laughs> being top of the league, and no, everyone will have forgotten by a week later. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Uh, Phil Carney is asking a question that uh, I mean, he, he's reminded me in reading this tweet that, that this is happening. This is something that I think we've been. I, I feel like we've been putting it off since we started recording this podcast. Oh yeah. Because when we started recording this podcast, this gentleman was. Not Phil, but the guy he's asking about was already like 33 or 34 or something. And we could have been talking about his retirement if we've been paying enough mm. attention right then. And now, 13 years on, it is actually happening. What was it? Jose Sand is retiring from professional football. Or at least he's leaving Lanús. Is he retiring? He is retiring. Must yeah. be. Sure. Uh, and Phil says, thoughts on Pepe Sam's farewell to the game? I know Dan is heartbroken. <laughs> Phil, Dan isn't the only one. I am as well. I'm not on Twitter anymore, so I've not been mentioning it, but come on. Did you delete your account? No. Oh. But I'm just You're just not on it. I'm um, just glad you didn't I, score against Since he's been gone, it's been renamed. Yeah, well, yeah. yes, indeed. I, I'm not on the football one anymore. I've still got the hand of pod account and, and my proofreading one. But anyway, thoughts? I mean, as I said, we could have dealt with Pepe Sam's retirement at any point in the last 13 years. We've been going for 13 years and now he is retiring. It's not going to be the same without him. Mate, just to dive into the old boxer cliches, he's been a great servant to the Argentine game. Yeah. So many years. Not particularly like, to Lanús because he wasn't that to good to anybody, for anybody else. But. Do you mind if I just read out his um, senior career clubs please do. from start to finish so 1992 I'm not going to go through please, please also read the appearances in, oh no actually don't do all that no that will, take a, that will take a long time um, so Colón Independiente Rivadavia Vitoria Defensores de Belgrano River Plate Banfield Colón Lanús Al Ain uh, Deportivo La Coruña which was a loan Tijuana Racing Club Tigre Argentinos Juniors Boca Unidos Aldo Civi Lanús Deportivo Cali y Lanús so mm. That was a lot, you know. Yes. That's 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 yeah. Twenty, twenty years of a Le, lot. Of less clubs. than Abreu, less than Abreu, or similar. Less. Yeah, less. no, no. Abreu was some. Abreu was nearly forty. Yeah. For, for I forgot the two appearances for Argentina as well. The oh, and the Maradona. Side. Yeah. Yeah. So well done him. Good. Indeed. Yeah. He was a great guy. Like always nice. seemed to relish 
getting get one over on Racing after not being uh, very happy good for Racing. He, uh, he, he found a place where he was happy. And that was Lanos, because, yeah. as I said, he didn't, his goal record everywhere else wasn't that he good. He didn't play for any somehow, team. for Lanos, he, he scored say, absolutely loved. Even then, though, he used to say that the, uh, when I think he was out of river, the, uh, the, the club who went or looked for him and uh, let him continue playing and not being somewhere else, not, not knowing what to do, is Defensor de Belgrano. Yeah. So, uh, well, they were right there. You, know, you, you leave River and Defensor yeah. de Belgrano, or just almost next door. So yeah. it makes sense. Um, but, yeah, he is, I believe, he's Lanusa's all time top scorer. And I know that he is the oldest player ever mm. to score in the Argentine top flight for anybody. And I obviously, you know, we, we were building up to that happening for quite a long time on the podcast when it became apparent that it might be a possibility. So delighted that he actually managed the to. The only negative thing I, I saw from him, negative, is that he celebrated the goals so boringly, the same time, the same way every time, <laughs> like this, and, and, and nothing else. And there's, there's nothing the wrong. There's nothing wrong with not having choreographed goal celebrations yes. like no. Santiago Silva used to have every morning. <laughs> Alan Shearer is my famous theory. one, just to you yeah. know, put in there. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Pahlawan says, what's your take on Diego Placente's boys in this under-17 World Cup so far? I've not been watching any of it, but Andres was telling me during the break that he has. So Andres? Well, after a failed, failure debut against Senegal, uh, well, much stronger physically than, than Argentina uh, and losing I think it was 3-2-0 yes I think it was 2-0 mm-hmm. now uh, t- today they recovered and won against Japan 3-1 and now they have to give it all against Poland I think on Friday um, and they yes where does that sound familiar losing mm. your first game winning your second game and then everything yes. online Against, against Poland. Yes. I can't think of any recent parallels that you could be talking <laughs> about. There. Uh, they did beat Japan 3 yes. 1. Uh, a golazo from that today? Yeah. 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 Today. It was this morning, Sam. You wouldn't have been awake, I don't think. No, no, I just wanted to check that yeah. it was, because it said 9 a.m., but it didn't give me the date, so I was just exactly. double checking that it was done. Golazo from Echeverri. Diablito Echeverri. Five minutes in. Yeah. Yes. And, and then, then a very. Very nice. A couple assist. of minutes later, and then a third goal, eight minutes into stoppage time, from Agustin Roberto, yes. who I have. Also from River. Uh, the assist for that last goal, by the way, was from Dylan Gorosito. Should I ask whether he's any relation to Nestor? You can ask. I couldn't tell you. No, I don't think so. And um, he's for, he plays for Boca, right back, I think. Oh, okay. If any Argentine coach was to, were to name his kid Dylan. I'll put money on Gorosito. <laughs> can I? Can I? Oh, ask? Well, and Palermo, of course, is. Kids called uh, Ridwan and something else, right? Like I, I could see him being like Dinan Palermo, maybe. Mm. Obviously, I'm aware that he hasn't done. I'm just saying it. Right. I was, right. I was going to ask Andres um, his thoughts on Echeverri. <coughs> uh, he's played a few times for River now. Yeah. Yes. Still, I think it's too early for him. I think 17, and there are a lot of players with 17 years. I mean, aware of. He had made his debut before that age, and, and I think after that he continued playing a lot. But uh, it's good for him to be at the national team, even when he's under 17, because I think he feels, at least 
now more comfortable there than than playing for River, which is first division. And and, and when he made his first uh, steps, he received some some like uh, you know well treated by their his rivals because he, they knew he was like uh, the kind of player he is. And so I think that next year he could perhaps be more active in first division. But uh, the Michelis is trying to keep, uh, to like slowly integrating taking care of yeah, yes, yeah. not uh, being in a hurry. And he has the more experience he has is with young with kids, with with youngsters. Uh, with in his previous job uh, by Munich, it was like that. So mm -hmm. he know I think he knows how to prepare players in order to get to first division. Yeah. That's why I think he he's not having a lot of action in, in, in the team. But uh, I think that next year it will be like that, yes. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. That's the question, Chris. No, you're welcome. I'm taking your question. job for you. I'm just letting you sit there. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Welcome back, gents. Did you enjoy the trip around Europe, Sam? I did, thank you, Liam. Yeah, I'll give you more uh, detail, but we've been going on for quite some time. What was your highlight, so. then? I, I mean... I suppose if you had to twist my arm and maybe choose seeing my family and my two best friends for the first time in five years was that's nice, quite good. Um, yeah, uh, Liam says, "Who's taking the relegation spot? Top flight is gaining a Mendoza Clasico, but likely to lose one in the process." I mean, we kind of covered it, but I would say, um, I mean. And We've not looked into the remaining uh, fixtures are, but obviously that'll make more sense next week. I, I yeah, I don't know. If, if you wanted to make me a betting man, I'd probably bet the one that's already there at the moment, so Union, I would probably say. But I really don't know. There's six teams that could do it. So. Thoughts, Tom? I think we're going to say Union by default, but also ask us next week when we're looking at the weekend's fixtures to come, and we'll tell you in more detail. Uh, and Liam also says Argentina's toughest test since the World Cup final is coming up will they see out 2023 without conceding a goal I mean they could but it is going to be tricky with Uruguay yes. followed by Brazil I'd be surprised yeah. I think they can get four if not six points from these games but uh, not conceding a goal two clean sheets is, is a tough one yeah. yeah indeed and on that note here's Mystic Sam to tell you what's definitely going to happen for the double header of World Cup qualifiers coming up. Don't go away. Bolivia versus Peru is going to be a draw. Venezuela versus Ecuador, I think, is going to be a Venezuela win because. Why would you bet against Venezuela in their current form at home? Uh, Colombia versus Brazil, I think, will be a draw. Argentina, I think, will beat Uruguay at home. Chile versus Paraguay is going to be... Uh, ooh, hang on, how are they both doing? Um, I think that's going to be a Paraguay win. They're both, both on four points at the moment, so it's, it is tight. And then next Tuesday... I think that Colombia will get a win away to Paraguay. I think that Uruguay will beat Bolivia at home. I'm really sticking my neck out there. Um, Ecuador versus Chile is going to be an Ecuador win, but quite a narrow one. And the big one. I think that Argentina are going to beat Brazil. Whoa! 
lucky or vision maybe. And I think that uh, Venezuela will take a point from Peru in presumably Lima. Um, but then we're going to be able to, I'm really looking forward to the. Uh, I'm not disappointed about the fact that so soon after I've got back, I get a double header of World Cup qualifying to watch. And also on Thursday, all of the matches, like one after the other, I think. It's, uh, yeah, Bolivia v Peru, and then after that is Venezuela v Ecuador, and then Colombia, Brazil, and Argentina, Uruguay are at the same time, and Chile versus Paraguay kicks off shortly after. But I'm going to be able to watch like three matches and then pay attention to some of what while I watch Argentina. And then on Tuesday, they're all kind of very much overlapping. But yeah. Can I say one thing? Nothing yeah. like South American it, it, it's, it, I agree with you. There's nothing like South American qualifiers. Do you think that it's like really, I'm sure you've covered it before, but it's really sad that there's like an extra spot and a half. Yes. Now, I mean, it I mean, really I takes the beauty, it takes the beauty out of what is like probably the most kind of competitive fixtures with in, in pure terms in football. There's takes never, it out of it. There's never for as long as any of us have been able to remember. Well, I don't know how, how far back Andres can remember, maybe when you were really small. But in my opinion, there's never been enough jeopardy. Four and a half spots mm. is always too many, given that there are only 10 teams uh, in the group. Um, and the one kind of thing setting against it is obviously that the quality is just so much higher on average than anywhere else. And I've always thought that when Venezuela eventually gets the World Cup, they're going to surprise an awful lot of people outside South America who will be like, oh, this is Venezuela's first World Cup. You know, countries getting to their first World Cup are always struggling. And Venezuela are going to be really good. Yeah. Because they've been playing against nobody else but the other South American teams for the whole of their I mean, Ecuador did it in 2022, right? Even, you know, they just failed to qualify and with Alfredo on the bench, never easy to, like, strut your stuff. But I think no one gave anything for Ecuador before that World Cup and definitely deserve to go through and you know I I think it would also in my opinion anyway Peru in 2018 it it would be a great shame if Jefferson Sotelo never gets to play the World Cup because I bloody love him just so good to watch he he just he's one of those players who I mean I don't think I've seen him play in the flesh because he'd have been well I guess I might have seen him play away to Argentina in the 2018 Where's he playing right now? But uh, I'm not sure. He's in the the States, yeah. I can't Uh, remember the club, but he's in the States. But he's just, he's the kind of player who I can imagine gets people out of their seats when he gets on the ball. Mm. I mean, he he, he makes things happen. Um, So, yeah, just, no, just all around. South American qualifiers, fantastic. Still good. And it is a shame that there are only going to be, like, is it two teams, three teams finishing completely outside all the qualifications was it does spoil it from that point of view yeah. <laughs> but also the other advantage is that like in any one match week you're guaranteed to get at least two games between teams who absolutely fucking hate each other yeah and so that means that there's always going to be some edge to the games even when you look at them and go yeah these two are crap and they're not going to qualify so there's no edge there's no um uh, there's no jeopardy to this game but Two of the players have hated each other for the last 20 years throughout their careers and therefore they're going to go at it at some point. So it's brilliant. I love it. Um, On that note, anyway, thank you very much indeed for listening. It feels good to be back and we hope that you've enjoyed this quite extended episode. We're now going to record a Handapod Extra for our Patreon supporters who enjoyed 
lots of extra episodes uh, while I was in Europe, which we recorded way back in August, and have not had anything yet in November. So we're going to give you one. <laughs> the bishop said to the actress, um, we're going to give you one now. Um, but for now, we will be back for the rest of you next week. Uh, if you are interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, please go over to patreon.com slash handofpod. That's what I should have said. Um, but for now, thank you and goodbye from Chris. Thank you so much. Great Dan. to be back. Goodbye. And Chris. Thank you. Goodbye. And me. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>